Happy New Year, Olsen. Hello. Yes, today we are um, so bored that we are recording on New Year's Day, but we thought we'd start off 2023 with a bang by having a good old bag of pucks podcast. Uh, do you do anything uh, special for New Year's Eve there, Olsen? I'm like a billion years old, so I went in bed and asleep by 11. Well, I um, I didn't really have any plans either, but uh, I stayed up to watch the Winnipeg-Edmonton game, and you know, I thought it would be like, you know, a decently scoring game, but no, it was kind of like a little bit of boring game. Like McDavid didn't score. He lost that 18-point streak. Um, it was a good game, though. You know, you got to your favorite player, Neil Pionk, had a goal and assist. Um, but I, I think, you know, the biggest game changer with the Jets this year is uh, he's, a, he's a member of the Real Miller Lite fantasy hockey team as well as uh, Team 13. Both of my fantasy leagues has a uh, Josh Morrissey of the Winnipeg Jets, who's kind of having one, probably one of his breakout seasons. I would say. I would argue that Josh Morrissey's having a Norris caliber season, and I know that is a very hot take. To, if you if you told me this in the beginning year that Josh Morrissey's gonna have a cal, uh, Norris caliber season, I'd tell you that you're insane. But he's got 42 points, a career high in 37 games this season, on a team that is. Doing much better than last year, I think, right? Is, is that a fair place to say, Jeffrey? I'd say so, yeah. Like they're doing better than I think. Well, I think maybe last year they underperformed, but this year they're overperforming a little bit, but kind of closer to what we thought they would. And I think he's a big part of that. At the end of the day, Like he is the leader on the defense, and I guess the leader on that team. And without him, I don't know if he if that team would be doing particularly well. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you here. I mean, like, he's already beaten his career high of 37 points. And, you know, I think he's always had this in his game. But, like, listen to the broadcast yesterday. Like, think about all the guys he's played behind since he's been with the Jets, right? Like, Bufflin, Truba, Myers, Enstrom. Like, I mean, that's going a little bit far back. But, like, all those guys were kind of, you know, ahead of him in the depth charts. And, you know, realistically, he never got to show this offensive flair that I think we all knew he had back from his days with the Raiders. But, you know, this is the first year that he's finally been given the chance to do this. And, you know, he's he's taking this offensive role on like a lot better than I think people expected. Well, I think it's going to be a very telling time of how important he is in the next couple of games. Uh, so recording on January 1st, and Josh Morrissey left the game on the 29th against Vancouver and did not return. So if he's out for an extended period of time, we're going to find out how important he is to this team. If the Jets start doing really poorly, then, you know, it's indicative of how important he is to this team. And if, you know, they happen to play really well, maybe it's the other way around. Sir, did I just not say I watched him play last night on December 31st against the Edmonton Oilers? Did he play that game? Uh, yes, he did. I watched him play, I think, about 25 minutes last night against the Oilers. And it was just like a it was a little knock. He got a little bit of treatment on Friday, and he was back playing. So uh, it's clearly, uh, Alton probably maybe has stayed up a little bit past 11 last night and uh, was maybe lying early about his uh, New Year's Eve plans. Well, I am corrected. <laughs> But yeah, I think Morrissey, he's a big part of that team. I mean, they've got decent guys. I think like Nate Schmidt's there, Neil Pionk's there. Like they've got a good depth guys, but Morrissey's definitely the leader on defense. 
I wouldn't be surprised if he gets named captain. I mean, he already wears the A, but he's kind of like the only guy now that's kind of signed long term with um, the Jets. I mean, everyone's always saying, you know, Adam Lowry, but I, I do feel like Josh Morrissey could be, you know, a future captain with the Jets. And, you know, he's been a big part. Um, it's nice to see, you know, all this offensive flair, you know, that he's showing it. My fantasy teams are very happy. He's always been a, I, I feel, he's always been a number one defenseman, but he's never shown that true offensive output until this season. I think, you know, we 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 knew he had it in him, but uh, this year he's just gone off. And uh, as much as I want, he he like you said before, he is having a Norris caliber season. But I mean, if he got point per game defenseman, yes. But you know, Eric Carlson's also still in the NHL, putting up even more ridiculous numbers. So. I mean, we'll see. Maybe one of the guys, one of them, slow down. Maybe someone else pops into the conversation. But yeah, like Morrissey as a Norris nominee uh, at the end of the season, probably not very far off. Is it fair to say that he was a lower option number one defenseman? So don't get me wrong. I think he was always a number one defenseman, like you mentioned. But he wasn't a top number one defenseman. And I think this year he's kind of established himself as a top number one defenseman. Um, I think he was always like, like, like if you look like statistically in terms of just like offensive production, probably not. But I think like if you're looking like analytically, like you know, not at like fantasy points, right? But looking at like zone exits, you know, like being like a leader in terms of you know he's like number one cube like quarterback power play quarterback. He plays tough minutes and stuff. Like I think he was like a number one guy. He just didn't produce offensively so maybe that's why people consider him like on the lower end but maybe that's more from like a fantasy hockey point of view but i think in like reality like in the nhl i think he's been like a number one defenseman for the last three years and like i wouldn't say he's low end i think he'd probably be like mid-tier number one defenseman for the last three four years so by that logic you would say he was one of the top 15 defensemen in the league yeah i, I would say and like like, if I'm looking at defensemen, I'm not looking at just offensive production. I'm looking at, like, their defensive responsibilities, too. And I think Morrissey is a guy that, yeah, I would consider him as a top 15 guy. Interesting. I don't know if I would. But that's why we have the bag of pucks to have these discussions. Before we move on to our topic for the new year, why don't we start the show properly first? You're listening to the Bag of Pucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. And we are back. So, you know, given that it's the new year, let's talk about some people that are probably happy that it's 2023. And I think there's a pair of defensemen that, you know, changed teams in the offseason who haven't had the greatest starts. And maybe they're hoping with the turn of the calendar year that, you know, things might change up a little bit. And I think one guy that's getting overlooked quite a bit is Mackenzie Weaver. Um, he moved to Calgary in that Kachuk Hubert deal. And, you know, I think he was a quite a significant part of that deal, but everyone was like really focused on Hubert you know, lack of production in his first 30 games. And you know, everyone was like, oh, this is a steal for Florida. Like Hubert looks washed. doesn't look like he's fitting the right system. Now he's turning it up a little bit. I think he's got like 16 points in his last 10 games or something. Like he's looking a lot better now. But 
Uyghur was has been like a guy that's really struggled defensively. And like I think yesterday was his first goal of the NHL season. Like he scored like December thirty first, like last game of the year of of the calendar year. He finally scored his first goal of the season. And I don't know. I think he's hoping that maybe he can turn around in twenty twenty three. I don't know. How, what what are your thoughts on Mackenzie Uyghur? I still had the belief that when they made the deal, it was a great deal for the Flames when they made the trade because his contract was expiring. And it was, oh, if he's doing really well, we can trade him and get assets if we want to kind of just flip him or whatever. But at the end of the day, I think I'd be a little bit concerned. I wouldn't be as concerned this year just because at the end of the day, he is only making $3.25 million, which in today's NHL gets you, what, a bottom bottom six defenseman, right? Um, but I think it's next year. I'd be concerned just because it comes eight years. You know what I mean? He is 28. Yeah, it's great. He's a bit younger. But that 6.25, you can't be pulling in 15, 20 points at 6.25. That's not great, but a part of me does wonder, is it the system not not working? And if it's very different from the Florida Panthers one, because you bring up a good point, right? Huberto's has been struggling this year, and I wonder if it has to do with the system being drastically different, and you need some time to kind of settle in in the system. I think for Huberto, I think definitely it was system related. Like he needed some time to get used to the system. That's why he took a little bit longer to start like going. With Weaker though, I don't think it's system. I think it's more like his role, right? Like when he was in Florida, he was like a top pairing defenseman with Aaron Ekblad. And only if Aaron Ekblad was healthy, right? Like Ekblad was injured quite a bit. So like Weaker was kind of in that number one role. So, you know, he was relied on, you know, being the number one defensive defenseman. He was also relied on to be like the number one offensive defenseman. So that's where he kind of shone because he was given, like he was elevated into that role and he, you know, did well. But when you look at the depth chart with Calgary, right? Is he your best offensive option? Probably your second or third, like behind Anderson, maybe tied with Hannafin. And then defensively, right? You're probably going to rely on a guy like Chris Tanev when he's healthy or Hannafin probably more. So like Uyghur gets kind of dropped down in the depth charts. And really, I think this is why he's struggling so much to, you know, like in terms of like number-wise and stats, like he's not producing as well. Like he's still effective based on his analytical numbers, but I think he's not used to being, you know, so far down the depth chart. I mean... Maybe in two years' time, he's going to you know, look a little bit better. He'll be off the depth chart. You know, Tanev will probably be off the team. Hannafin may or may not resign, so maybe he'll look better when he's given more of a chance to you know, play his game. But I think he's just adjusting to a new role where he's not going to be relied on as much. He's more of a supporting cast this year. So that begs the question, where is the problem then? Is this what the expectation is going to be then if that's the case then does this make this a bad contract i'm not sure i don't and there's a lot of questions i get that i'm unsure about and i don't know where you even start from this like is this the real mckenzie Weger for the next eight years and if so does the gm have a problem with this and who overrules who at this point 
I think this year he's like he's on a contract that's fine as a you know he's actually on a really good contract if you're considering him as like like a number three defenseman. Next year though, probably a little bit expensive for a number three defenseman. But like you know, getting into like the middle of his contract when you know only him and Anderson are signed past that, and obviously you know things can change. But I think they see Uyghur Anderson as maybe their top pairing maybe two or three years down the road where they have both guys. And I think that's when that contract makes a little bit more sense. But if Uyghur can't, you know, make that, can't elevate his game when he is, you know, being brought into that more top pairing role than he is right now in that, you know, middle pairing role, then I think you have a little bit of a problem as, you know, Brad Tree living where you're like, you sign this guy, maybe he's like looking into the future, but like if you re-sign a guy like Hannafin, to like a decent deal and your weaker is again going to be your number three defenseman. Like that contract is, you're not going to, you shouldn't be signing a number three defenseman to an eight year deal over 6 million. Like that's, that's a lot of cap to be giving up for such long time that, you know, it could be very easy to replace. And, you know, if you think it towards the end of that contract, right, he's going to be about 34, 35, 36. Like that's a lot of money paying for paying a guy who, you know, is yes an all-around guy but can you make it that far and you know the cap might go up but it still seems a lot of money you know seven eight years down the road but i think that was part of making that deal right if he wasn't getting eight years he wasn't making that deal yeah no i think same same with like huberto right like like those guys when you're when you're signing and we've talked about this before i think like hockey players when you're signing that you know contract that takes you into your 30s everyone signed these eight-year deals because, you know, you're trying to maximize everything. Everything's, all the money's guaranteed too. So, like, you, you want to go as long, as, as far as possible because, you know, one injury or one bad season could really, you know, screw you over in terms of your, your finance. Um, speaking of, you know, eight-year contracts, let's go the inverse and talk about a guy who, you know, made a bet on himself, thought he might get that eight-year deal that, you know, Uyghur and Huberdo got, but in the end, he didn't get an eight-year deal in the offseason, so he had to sign a one-year, pretty lucrative deal, um, one-year $7 million with the Anaheim Ducks, John Klinberg. Um, I think this is another guy who's happy that, you know, he's it's not 2022 anymore, kind of had a rough year, and kind of hoping to start anew come 2023. So I'll be the first one to say, when the free agency came around, I was on the camp of John Klinberg should totally get, like, a seven-year, like, 35 40 42 million dollar deal i was a little shocked i think as was a lot of people to see the seven million dollar for one year um and i think it was the understanding that he was probably going to try to get traded by uh like a cap deadline type of deal um especially you know the anaheim ducks would have given them given him an opportunity to kind of just showcase himself and since it is one year deal and they are a rebuilding team, it kind of made sense that he, he would get traded. They have space to retain salary. So it could be a very lucrative deal, but at the same time, how he's produced has been so shockingly bad that I don't know what you could really trade for him. Like I think you would fully be working on his past experience and past results and not this year's results, right? At the end of the day, Yes, it will be if you retain a whole bunch of money, a relatively cheap deal. It'd be slightly more than Mackenzie Weger's deal, but he 
doesn't play great defense, right? He's always been a very offensive defenseman, but the offense has not been there either, too. So I don't know how that would affect his trade value. I think it's really telling, too, that, you know, he's not even on that top power play unit with, you know, Z, Gris, and Terry in Anaheim. He's dropped down to the second power play. Um, I mean, I think with the Ducks, maybe you should be trying to showcase, you know, Klingberg a little bit more so that you could maybe up his trade value a little bit. But given how poor he's been, I think the Ducks are like, you know, we'd rather help Zegras and Terry and McTavish develop. So let's give him, give them the best guys to operate with on the power play. And that's, that's been Cam Fowler. So that's why like Klingberg and Shanker girl dropped down there. But like, I think the Ducks, they're going to get something. But I think they're they're hopeful that they could have gone like a first or something because more than likely they're going to retain half on Klingberg, so like that's going to make whatever the value that they're trading Klingberg at be a lot higher. But like you're right, like Klingberg, a fun, offensive-minded defenseman, like you're basically only going to be getting him if you don't really have a power play quarterback on your team. I feel like it'd be a very steep price to pay, you know, three and a half or like a pay a defenseman three and a half million to quarterback your second power play. Like, like, is there even a team that would want Klingberg and, or even if Klingberg improves, I think maybe more teams would be interested, but at what he's producing right now, I feel like the ducks might end up having to hold on to him because there's not going to be a trade market. Kind of like the off season where no one wants, no one wants him. I don't know if I'd be that dramatic in the understanding that this is a one-year deal. I think even for the Ducks, I'm going to exaggerate here, obviously, but if you retain half and you're like, I will give you a sixth for him, unless his, he's such a strong locker room presence, if I'm the Ducks, I will take that deal if that's the best deal I can get. Because you know he doesn't fit with your window. And like I said, unless he's a great influence in the locker room and he's worth it for the locker room influence alone, I don't see why you would even try to keep him. Oh no, I agree with you that the Ducks are are more than willing to take any take whatever they can get. But I think buyers are not going to be willing to you know sacrifice three point five million of the cap space for a guy that's going to maybe produce for the second power play unit. Like I'm just trying to like look at teams that might want a Klingberg that would also have the cap space, right? Like. Maybe like the Devils, I think they're they're set on the right side. Like I don't think they're gonna, they they could, probably could use a power play guy, but they've got Severson, they've got like Hamilton, they've got Marino. Unless they're flipping Severson somewhere else, maybe that's where you bring in a Klingberg. Um, maybe Buffalo, you can maybe convince them to take on Klingberg to maybe help out Owen Power on that second unit. Um. Really, there's not a lot of options, I would say, where Klingberg, like, love, like, fits for Klingberg, right? Like, where would he be, like, I don't know. It, there just doesn't seem to be a, a lot of people that would be interested in a 2022 Klingberg. Maybe a lot of people would be interested in a 2021 Klingberg, a 2020 Klingberg, but where he's at right now, he, he doesn't look good at all. And I think, you know, he's hoping that he can rebound you know, in the 2023 season. I don't know about the prime target for a team in the trade deadline, but if you miss out on your prime two, three targets, this is a low risk move, realistically, except for cap space. You get them for cheap and 
I think teams are willing to run that risk. I think it's not as bad as maybe you make it out to say, but you're right in the sense that instead of being a first round pick, you're maybe getting a, a third for him instead. Yeah, well, uh, we'll see come February or March. I can't remember where the trade deadline is. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens with him. Um, and I think the third guy who's I would say had a really rough season. He looked good last night against the Jets, but Jack Campbell. Um, it's never really good when your GAA is, you know, getting close to four um, and you're signed to, a, you know, five-year, $5 billion deal. You've been overtaken by, I don't know if Stuart Skinner is a rookie, but basically a guy who's really getting his first full taste of the NHL. Um, it's not really looking good for Jack Campbell in Edmonton. He's, I think he's hoping to turn it around and maybe get that starter job back from Stuart Skinner. So I'm convinced that it's not the goalies that are a problem in the Oilers. It's that the team just does not know what to do with goalies. Because when's the last goalie that you can remember that was really good for the Oilers? Um... I mean, I've always loved Mike Smith, but would you say the year they made they made it to the second round, Cam Talbot, was that 2015-16 or 2016-17? I can't remember which year that was. Well, yeah, that's my point. They haven't had a really good goal in a long time. And I'd say Cam Talbot wasn't particularly great, right? Like, I, I can't think of a specific, specific goalie that was really good. Like, Cam Talbot was all right, but he wasn't elite. Like, last person I could think of, I don't know why I thought of him, was... Nikolai Abby Bullen, but he wasn't particularly good either. So I don't know why I'm thinking of that. But my point is, see, they're not, there's not any really like specifically good goalies that I can think of on this. And like at the end of the day, I just, this team, I, I suspect it's, it has to do with more coaching than goaltending. I am going to have to argue you on that Cam Talbot thing because that season, 2016 2017, Played in 73 games, had a GAA of 239, save percentage 919. In the playoffs in 13 games, he had a GAA of 248, save percentage 924. Like, that's that's a pretty damn good season. Granted, the next season, his GAA ballooned up to three, but I'd probably say, like, like in terms of, like, a long-term good goalie, I would have to say, not even Happy Bullen, like, maybe Dwayne Rolson. Like, like, you're going far back, and... Maybe like it has been that long, and maybe it's just they just can't develop goalies, right? Like like you said, like Stuart Skinner, he he's taking the starter's job, but it's not like he's blowing, you know, everyone away. He's just clearly better than Jack Campbell, and that's why you know they're starting him more, right? So yeah, like I I don't know, like Edmonton, maybe they're they've been trying to put an emphasis on goalie, but every time they bring in someone new, it's just never worked out. So, yeah, you're right. You know what? I miss Ken Talbot. He might be – he's pretty good. But I don't think it has to do with the development of goalies, right? Like, guy Jack Campbell isn't a development issue. I think it's kind of similar to Uyghur. It's a system issue more than anything where they don't really care about defensemen. Not defensemen, goaltending. They don't really care about goaltending. So they don't really worry about that. And they kind of just let it slack. And – they don't protect their goalies, so they just let them get slacked. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you on that. Like, 
I, I do find like Edmonton's every like off season, they're always that one team that's just like, oh, let's just get the next shiny toy and you know see how they do. Like I think that's how they got Cam Talbot from the Rangers, right? Like I think that was he looked really good behind Lundqvist and you know clearly was you know could take on a starter's position and you know the Oilers were like yeah let's take this bet. Um, same with Jack Campbell. I think a lot of he didn't have that great of a season the year before with the Leafs and like the Leafs weren't going to give him five times five but you know once you know you heard Jack Campbell was going to be on the mark it's clear like the Oilers are already had that contract done up and are just waiting for Campbell like July 1st to get him signed up like I feel like the Oilers really need to think about maybe not just every offseason just picking a goalie and seeing if, if it fits like re- they should really do their homework and find like what goalie would fit in the style of play that they play like i don't know if there's a certain style like is it just like i mean they've changed coaches too so it's it's i don't know if it's a coaching problem it's stylistic problem or just maybe it's just the players in front of them that they're just not used to i don't know it's maybe it's the lighting at rogers place maybe that's screwing over all the goalies and they just have to find the right goalie that's you know can play at rogers place or something i don't know but yeah with with campbell you, you kind of hope to see him improve i mean Again, I will always bring this back to fantasy hockey. I have Stuart Skinner, and I would prefer not to have to move him. And uh, so Jack Campbell, do okay, but please don't take over, you know, the net. Just make sure that, you know, Stuart Skinner, maybe next year you can, you know, be really good. I mean, 2023, we're just at the start of it. We're at day one of 365. You can maybe, you know, improve a little bit later on. Um, You know, that's kind of like, I would say probably our three guys that, We've kind of labeled us guys who are really happy that, you know, they just changed, you know, to a new team for the 2022 season. And now they're hoping that, you know, now that they've been in a new place, they're hoping now it's a new gear. They're going to do a little bit better. But is there is there a guy maybe that hasn't really changed places, but maybe is happy that it's a new year? Is there someone that you want to talk about also? Uh, yeah. So Lafreniere and to an extension, Capo Caco have had rough seasons, haven't they? I think they've had decent seasons, but given their draft pedigree, it's not where people wish they were at. Well, and the reason why I bring this up is that Capo Caco has, I think, to a degree, kind of settled in and we kind of understand where he's going to be. But Lafreniere has not done well, kind of went to a fourth-line role and eventually scratched and it, it got me wondering. It's I don't want to say he's a bust because at the end of the day, he is twenty one years old, you know. But he hasn't really performed to our expectations. But like this year, I think was his. He's been doing well, right? Seventeen points in thirty six games. But the fact that I'm saying, oh, he did well as a first overall pick having, what, a 40-50 point season? Is that the expectation I need to be having? Because that's not what a first overall pick should be having as their expectation. Yeah, like, I think with... Le- well, he, he's been screwed over with the pandemic, right? He was that first overall pick right at the beginning of the pandemic. He started the season late, or I'm trying to think. Yeah, like, he, he started the season... He, like, he... His first season was a shortened season. The next season that was also shortened. Like he's 
he's he's had a rough time and i think you know developmentally wise like he has been technically improving every season like he's putting he's on pace to put up more points than he did last year but it's just that right you're a first overall pick you shouldn't be a boss like you should be you know a lot better i mean you look at the guys that were drafted after him i mean quinton byfield not doing great but like you look at like tim stutzla like lucas raymond jake sanderson like those are guys that have you know carved out nhl roles and look like they're further along in their development than a guy like um alexis lafreniere and i think that's where people are you know maybe a little bit disappointed or like don't feel like he's lived up to that expectation of that first overall pick. I genuinely believe that he needs to be traded. Um, he's a left wing who has to play ahead of Artemi Panarin and Chris Crowder, which isn't happening. And I feel like Gerard Gallant has kind of given Lafreniere some leeway by trying to give him some, you know, skate uh, ice time, whether it be on five five or on the power play. But at the end of the day, like he isn't going to outplay Chris Kreider and Lafreniere. And I think, to a degree, I don't think people were expecting him to be in the third, like third best. I think at the end of the day, I think Kreider had the breakout season last year and that kind of forced the hand. And, you know, Lafreniere playing the second left wing behind Panarin, I think would have been a fine place for him. But the third line for him at his best kind of stunts his development. And I think that's like the one thing I've always kind of said about like the draft lottery. Yes. It's great when you move up from like 10th or 11th to, you know, one of those top three picks, but when you're 10th or 11th, you often have established guys in your top six. So when you're bringing in such a high pick, you're not able to put them in the role that is suited for them. Right? Like, if Lafreniere went to a team where he wasn't behind a Kreider and a Panarin, like, you know, he got to start off playing, you know, second line minutes and let him develop that way, I think it would be perfect, right? Like, it's just because he's behind, he was drafted and placed, like, on a team where they're already, like, pretty solid on the left side that he didn't get that, you know, development time. And, you know, maybe if he was able to, switch over to the right, which he's been playing a little bit more. If he can, you know, make that transition to the right side, I mean, Kako Lafreniere on the right would you know, not be bad at all. Like, I think it, it's just going to be hard for, like, Lafreniere to really find a place. And if, if, you're, if you're the Rangers, I think, yes, trading him would get you some value back, but you're trading him at such a low point, you're not going to be getting much back. So... I think you, if you're the Rangers, you stick with it. I think if you can, like sign him to like a massive long-term deal at like a fairly, like reasonable AAV, and then you know he, I feel like he can, you know, be that like he can develop and become like what he was as a when he was in junior when he was like dominant. I feel like he has that in there. It's just that he's stuck behind the wrong people, and if you believe he can make that transition to to the right wing or even center, like, you could really, you know, have a gem and a steal there if you, you know, sign him, like, super long-term. But if you are the player's agent, you don't want him to sign long-term right now, right? Like, you you know the value is depressed, and 
if they don't produce, they want to be able to leave and pick a situation that would be give them time to play and develop, right? Oh yeah, like if I'm the player's agent, I'm gonna be like, hell no, like you know, give me a, like a nice short-term bridge deal, put me in a position to succeed, and then you know, or just you know, just hold out until they trade you to a team that where you can produce and then make that money, right? Like, I'm wondering if you look at a guy like, if you can convince someone like Lafreniere to sign like a Kakakiniemi deal. I think you'll be like really happy with that, maybe, but at the same time, it's probably unlikely as well. So I don't know. I, I feel like Lafreniere, he's just in a bad position. Obviously, from a player standpoint, he should get traded. But if you're on, like, if you're the Rangers, unless you're getting really good value back, you really don't want to trade a first overall draft pick or even Kako, a second overall draft pick, for you know pennies on the dollar right like you want to make sure you get like good value and you know the rangers are struggling this year too right so unless they're like he's gonna suddenly make your team that much better and it's good like a long you're getting like a long-term piece that's really gonna help you fine but realistically i don't know like if there's a guy on the market that they could make that trade where lafreniere could be part of that deal i, I don't know i i feel like the rangers should keep him but it's gonna suck for lafreniere yeah, for sure. So that's all I've got for this week, Jeffrey. Yeah, well, I, you know, it's it's New Year's Day. Uh, we're going to, we might not have New Year's Eve plans, but we have New Year's Day's plans. Um, you know, we're just going to have a, a nice short episode to start off the year. You know, I think a lot of people are, you know, probably going to be doing their New Year's resolution. Um, and maybe one their New Year's resolution will be to listen to the Bag of Bucks podcast more often. I mean, we're going to continue popping out these episodes, you know, every two weeks, um, trying to stay on that schedule. And, you know, if you guys have any feedback, feel free to DM us at BOP underscore POD. Uh, do you have any new year's resolution also? Uh, I would say it's a resolution cause I, I don't follow those after a couple weeks. I would like to be more active this year, physically more active. How about you, Jeffrey? Uh, yeah, I feel like, Physically active is always, you know, something that I always want to do more of, but like it always peters out after, you know, a week or two. Uh, I, I, I would say maybe that's one of my resolutions, but I'm kind of like, I know it's not going to do well, but I, I think I want to, you know, be able to like, you know, hang out and go out more, try to find that, you know, that work-life balance uh, or work-life podcast balance. I think we've got the podcast balance good, but I think I got to work on that work-life balance and uh, maybe that way I get to watch a little bit more hockey, you know, do a little bit more research for the pod, you know, maybe we'll come up with some, you know, extra pods. You know, I think a resolution for our podcast is to maybe get some more guests on, you know, like try to bring in some new content for the podcast, you know, maybe whether it be, you know, our friends or maybe someone who's in the NHL or in the hockey world that has a different point of view from us, I think would be very exciting. So that, that I think that's my resolution for myself and my resolution for the podcast as well. Well, we shall see. All right. Do you have any other things you want to talk about, Austin, or are we good for this pod? I think we're good for this week. All right. Well, I guess we'll talk to everyone in two weeks. I hope everyone has a happy new year. 
hope everyone uh, sort of, you know, makes it past two weeks on their New Year's resolution. And uh, yeah, hopefully the guys that we talked about, maybe they're going to have some improved results in the new year. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Bag Fucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. You want to complain about us? You can tweet us at BOP underscore POD on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.